then the grief turned to more anger and, and more bigness and more want, desire to express my masculinity and my expression and my rage. And I didn't feel like I could do that in rooms of women. Welcome to Evolution Sucks, out of the primordial ooze and into our best life. Welcome back to Evolution Sucks. My guest today is a man uh, who when I first met him, I was immediately drawn to him. There was some quality there that, um, that got my attention. Uh, he had just moved here. We were doing something called a coffee collider at this uh, shared workspace called The Hive here in Paonia. It was pretty much the only place you could have high-speed internet. And Peter showed up one day and it's like, here I am. I was like, oh, this guy's cool. He's a pilot. And I was like, that was one of the things that stuck with me. I was like, pilot? Who does that shit? Um, so my guest today is Peter Van Winkle. And Peter is a father of Wendell, partner to Emma, wild day ceramic potter. Wild clay. Clay, sorry. I was thinking wild day trader when I read that. Wild clay ceramic potter, organic beef rancher, and body-based soul guide. He is fascinated by human development, in particular adolescent rites of passage, and he spearheads a local project to support emerging teens in their journey to adulthood. He lives with his family on their homestead farm in western Colorado. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, good to have you. Yeah. I think we've been thinking about this for a while. Um, tell me a little more about this um, body-based soul guide. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I just what, what I there's so many ways that we hold our patterns, our blind spots, our ways of being that we might even we might know consciously. Oh, I struggle with this, or I, I bump up against that. And talk-based therapy goes so far. And so, you know, f my own journey to it through movement, through meditation, through um, earth-based practices just got me to a place where it just felt so much more productive to, um, instead of thinking that we know what the work is about, um, allowing the body to inform and speak back to us, you know, by you sort of begin, it's like you pull on one end of the thread and as you pull, but in the body, you, you might begin with an image or a phrase or an experience or a memory or something your wife said or something your dad said or anything. And then where in the body do you feel that? Oh, okay. I feel it. Yeah. Wow. There's some, something small, maybe in my chest. Okay. Let's study that. And then from there, like, let's learn about that. Let's pull on that to use that metaphor. And then, you know, then, then things emerge and there's, there's 
sort of many pathways to follow, but the 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 idea being that through the body we might be able to get a lot more traction. And the soul guide piece, I guess I equate soul with, you know, um the authentic wholeness and sort of rightness and trueness of our path that is calling us to uh, live itself, live live that expression into the world. And, and at moments we feel aspects of it, but we we need some support and some reflection and some guidance to be able to sort of more fully embody that, especially in moments where things are hard, right? Yeah, you know? for sure. It feels like, um, if I understand what you're saying, the soul is basically has our integrity um, in mind, I think so for sure. Right. Yeah. And and so that's going to guide us from that point of view rather than like ego reaction or trigger response, any of that stuff. Totally. Um, I want to just back up for a second though and have you talk a little about the work, how your work progressed. Because when I met you, you were a men's coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started a men's group together four or five years ago. And, couple men's groups. Yeah. Oh, and then we we had those two uh, basically seminars, I guess you would call them. Well, and one of them became a men's group that continues to meet. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. Which is amazing. I think they're meeting weekly. Yeah, I think if so. If I'm not mistaken. So just sort of, I'm really curious to hear about your progression into this. Mm. Um, because my experience of you, when we co-taught those men's groups, uh you were very much in your body. And I think one of the opening kind of acts, if you will, of the, of the men's group was to dance and move. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, that was, it was really enjoyable. I love that, but it was also like, huh, I don't know that I've ever seen that done before. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we get guys in the room, in their body, and then we can go deeper. Right. And so just asking how, yeah, how I went from there to, to this. Yeah, just just that progression from when you moved here. You know, how many years ago did you move here? Like five, six. Six years ago. Yeah, it'd be seven in January. Nice. Yeah, you came here with kind of a different mindset from where you are now, is what I see. Well, that's cool. Cool reflection. It feels like um, a natural progression in a kind of way. Um. You know, the reason I started working with men is because I felt like it was something that I had a natural affinity for because I had a great, like a pretty, actually, it's funny. I say I had a great relationship with my father. I didn't when in later in his life, but early in my life, I felt like he kind of bequeathed or bestowed upon me a kind of masculinity that I saw I could use to bless other men maybe. And so Mm -hmm. that I could see men and I could honor them. And rather than being intimidated by, you know, in the ways that we can be intimidated by men, I could at least, I thought I could put it aside and be able to be with them. I had a lot to learn obviously. And I keep discovering that always in retrospect, which is a little frustrating. It's like, (laughs) look back. It's never, it's never, Oh, I currently need to learn that. It's like, Oh, I needed to learn that. But anyway, well, the lessons learned regardless. Right. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. Without too much collateral damage. Um, but yeah, I guess I was interested. Let me, I was interested in working with men. I thought that that would be 
You know, well, it's interesting because this, I'll just say how I came to men's work because it is through embodiment. Right. Is that um, I had some persistent uh, injuries and um, dance was the only place where I could stop being in pain. And Interesting. As I was da- and I was dancing in, in a lineage called the Five Rhythms, which is practiced in every major city. There's communities and rooms where they dance, you know. It's essentially ecstatic dance with a DJ, and um, mm. there's five rhythms that you dance through, and there's emotions associated with each one. And so I'm in these rooms dancing, and, and I'm like, I'm pain-free in my knee, but then all of a sudden I was grieving. And I was like, I didn't really sign up for that part. Right. And then I was grieving, and it was a lot. It was all women teachers, everywhere. I was in Seattle, but I would also go down to the Bay area or Mm -hmm. I would go to other places, but mainly the West coast. And, you know, for example, one of the women teachers at one point said, she took me aside kind of towards the end of a dance and I'm over in the corner sobbing and she goes, what is it? Like, what, what are you grieving? And and I just found this, like, I was like, do I have to have something? And uh-huh. I know now that what I was grieving, well, first of all, I know that you don't have to have something to grieve. Grieve is like totally. a river, right? You touch it and you're grieving the planet. You're grieving your own parents. You're yeah. grieving your, your disconnection from your that. body, from nature. You're, yep. The trance of feeling like you're separate from everything when you know somewhere in your body that you're not and the grief of not being able to fit into that. And so anyway, then the grief turned to more anger and, and more bigness and more mm. want, desire to express my masculinity and my expression and my rage. And I didn't feel like I could do that in rooms of women. They, I yeah. felt like when I would start to do it, I could feel them, like one of them would come over to me and be like, hey, do, do you need to you need yeah. to calm it down? And yeah. I would, I would kind of get the feedback like, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even so much do it and then get the feedback. I would just sense not here. Uh-huh. And I went and I studied with this, I started, there was more men teachers coming through. And as I moved and danced with them, I felt like, okay, in here I can bring it. Yeah. And I had a conversation with one of these guys because I was so impressed by the way he taught. And I said, would you be willing to come and do a men's weekend in dance? And he said, he's from the UK. His name's Adam Barley. And he said, I'd love to, uh, anywhere west of Denver, you produce it. Just tell me where and I'll be there. And then I, fe- I, I went to, I looked all over, literally in every state, and then it was right under my nose. I realized, oh, it's in Boulder, and, and there's a whole Five Rhythms community there, and she put it on. And then what I tell people looking back on that journey was um, I got into embodiment. Well, um, uh, I, I found embody. I started, and so then what came out of that, we did that weekend, and then I started um, a class, a weekly class called Archetypal Movement for Men, and we had an alternating weekly class. I mean, this guy Omar Zubaydi called um, the Boulder Men's Dance. And what I would tell people was I started men's movement because I found embodiment too feminine, right? Like it was in the, all these embodiment workshops I was in were just full of women. Yeah. So, you know, but I needed to move. But I found men's groups because I'd also done a few men's groups at that time. I found them too disembodied because the guys would just kind of sit around. So it's like, that wasn't it. Like I I went to a mankind project and I was kind of looking around the room being like, these guys are not in their bodies. They're not moving. So I kind of put the two together for my own need. Brilliant. And that I I kind of, but then I got into, into farming and stuff and wanted to, to, to find place to live in Boulder. It was too expensive. So I came out here and when I came out, I kind of came with this sense of like, I know how to run embodied men's groups. Of course, then we had a baby. And 
COVID happened. Yeah. And I tell people, you know, I, I kind of painted myself into a bit of a corner here in a number of ways because, and we all have, we've moved to the kind of country is we don't have access to, for better or for worse, we don't have access to the big cities. Right. I'm not really a social media type person. So I've kind of gotten out of that. And so what began as me thinking of myself over in, in the front range in Boulder and Denver as like, um, I run embodied men's groups and tried to do a couple of those out here, got kind of killed by COVID and had a baby, just started to think more about like, what's under that? What, what, and as I felt under that, like, what am I really doing when I'm working with men? Or if I'm working with men one-on-one, cause then it, I, I realized I'm listening to the earth. I'm listening to my body. I'm trying to listen to my body. I'm trying to listen to the earth. I'm trying to get out of my own way and help the person. And that's one of the surprises that came out of this was that, um, I started, women have been reaching out. And so I've been working with more women. Yeah. Talk about that. I was, I was wondering if, if you were working with women now. Yeah. And I, I've, it's been great. I mean, there's, you know, just a couple because I've been on this new track for like, I don't know, six months maybe. Um, but you know, it's, it's, in a way, it's the same in a weird way because it's like, I mean, I wouldn't say I have enough experience to spout off on what it is to work with women, but I'll just say so far when in the, in the women that I've worked with, um, you can find the patterns by moving in the body. You can discover, um, you have insight about, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that or... Um, yeah, I do. I do go back and forth between these two poles. What's that all about? And, um, yeah, so far it seems like there's a lot in common between men and women in the sense that, um, the body is where so much of these tensions and the protections are held. Sure. I'm wondering if, if you're noticing no, like a a distinction and a go-to emotion. I, I know for sure that when we've done our embodied dance and our men's uh, group, you could feel there was sort of rage. Totally. There was anger. Yeah. Um, there was grief. I'm wondering if you notice a difference in the women's emotional response when they hit a spot that gets them open and they're now free to go there. Is it rage? Is it grief, sadness? betrayal i'm curious it's a great question i don't feel like i have enough experience yet to speak on it and i would be drawing from sort of other experiences like you know when i was at burning man we did this thing where like they they had like a room full of men and women and they said all the women are called to you just go pick a man and you can just go crazy just like you bring your rage bring your grief bring your everything and I saw a lot in that room. I saw a lot of grief. I saw a lot of anger. I saw all kinds of things. But with the women that I've been working with so far, I don't know that I've gotten deep enough quite yet to say what the, the pattern is. Um, but there's a safety there. And right. I think that I can see in my own relationship with Meg is this like, am I able to hold that space and have it be safe? for whatever is coming up in her. Mm-hmm. And that that's a huge challenge for me. Mm. You know, my go-to thing would be anger, you know? 
or rage or frustration, like I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I'm getting the sense is what you're describing is you create the container and the container is safe. Mm-hmm. And whatever shows up, shows up. Yeah. And I feel like that's so necessary is to, is to give that permission to be free, to be completely whatever shows up. It's yeah, powerful. it's really, well, it's also really humbling talking to you because I'm realizing, you know, how far I have to go on this journey of holding space. Maybe this is one of those moments where I'm realizing my lesson while it's happening instead of after. <laughs> there you go. That's progress. <laughs> but real time. Yeah, I, I, I like that because I think there's, I mean, that speaks to the polarity piece as well. Yes. And we're going to dive into that shortly. And so, you know, I, 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 I would like the opportunity. I'm working with a few clients right now on a pro bono basis to just get more practice with this way of showing up. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm really following that process and trying not to rush it too much. It's a powerful process. And I can say in my own life, um, the learning curve has been incredibly steep. And I, I mean, I will say I consider myself somebody who has a, capacity, you know, a decent amount of capacity for a guy who's, you know, pretty much charging hard most of the time Mm -hmm. to just go, okay, what is this person needing from me? I'm talking about my partner. What is she needing? How can I, how can I be there in a way that's supportive, not judgmental, not frustrated, not losing my patience with the process? And I mean, I, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. I'm learning that daily. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I, I believe we're not necessarily wired that way to be able to handle that mm-hmm. big emotion or, you know, out of the blue. Like, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Just guys want to fix the right. logic based what's wrong. And I love I love this image I'm getting from you of just embracing and in the embrace is the holding of the Mm -hmm. space for whatever to show up. And when you were referencing like doing these uh, ecstatic dances and mostly women and you were starting to go into this place of anger, rage, and then grief, I could see that that there was like a lack of of them feeling safe in a way. Which then now you're permutating okay have I gone too far do I tone it down which is totally counterintuitive to the process right you're supposed to be releasing well well, you're making you're you're helping me uh, connect two circuits which I'm appreciating you know between this embodiment piece because when I worked with men when I have worked with men uh, I've felt this there could be this transmission about the divine masculine like if i can find a way to if i can get settled enough to speak from this place of structure and a kind of crystalline witness that is not pulled off by this thought or that thought but is kind of waiting moment by moment for the next right thing to do or say mm. And that, that, and the idea with the men is this is a transmission that's helping you realize you don't have to fight with your wife about this or that, or you don't have to, 
um, be sort of pulled into your victim or your story by this or that, right? Like, right. They, like transcend the bullshit. Like there's, right? It's, it's like freedom is what I hear you saying. Yeah, exactly. And try and and sometimes try sometimes then taking them into the body, but sometimes it feels like you're just using words. But he, what I'm connecting is, oh, when I sit with women, I can be in my in in that space because that's really what they're wanting. What they're really wanting from, uh, you know. We're, it's pretty heteronormative here, but um, I'll say it this way: If a person is is wanting to, and and a lot of you know female body and expressive women or or humans are wanting, if in prime you know to to express their emotions and to let go of holding the space and holding the container and don't have to hold on so much like they do in the culture mm. and don't have to perform or be anything or think about if it's okay and just want to release, which uh, you know. Any gender person can want that. Any any gender identifying person can want that. That what they want from the other person is for that person to hold that structure so, uh, you know, so bravely and so firmly, not in a brutal way, but in a kind of like I'm committed yeah. to not getting intimidated yeah. by where you have to go, and that being exactly. super um, healing. Oh yeah. I mean, that's just, historically, that's never happened. Right. 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 Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's a paradigm shifter. Yeah, it really is. And and so I love this. I want to shift a little into this idea of polarity. Yeah. And you mentioned divine masculine and obviously divine feminine. And I think we both agree that regardless of our gender, we're carrying both of those things within us. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I could share um, briefly my own story around this and the challenges that I came up with. And in a way, I almost love you to to sort of use me as a test rat in a way because so much of my idea of divine masculine I feel like was partially cultural like the way I grew up you know I grew up watching TV in the mm -hmm. 60s so John Wayne John Wayne Steve McQueen <laughs> um, you know Gary Cooper Peter Fonda <laughs> yeah I mean just the, the on and on right the list of strong or male Henry Fonda it will ha Peter Fonda, you know, Easy Rider. Easy Rider, that's what I was thinking right. of, yeah. Henry Fonda, for sure, uh, Grapes of Wrath. But these were the archetypes for me. And growing up without a father, of course, I'm latching on to what I'm seeing. I don't have a direct, like, uh, influence, if you will. So here I am, downloading this. Okay, divine masculine, stoic, um, you know, badass Steve McQueen jumping the fence and the great escape on a, on a motorcycle. I'm like, I'm all about that. Right. But there was no, there was no, uh, there's no balance to it in a way. Like I didn't have right. a balance of like, okay. The only balance that I saw and again, I'm referring to television because that was our social media 
in in the 60s to a degree like whatever you're seeing commercials and the show the the tv show kung fu mm -hmm. with david carradine he was very soft yet he could kick ass mm. and so there was part of my brain that was like oh right like wait most kick-ass guys are just dominant mm -hmm. you know he's soft and receptive and then when it there's no other choice. He puts the guy on the ground. So mm. in, in my situation, when I uh, was making the money in our relationship, I felt like I was in my wheelhouse, right? I am the guy. I'm, you know, supporting my own family. And, you know, up to six carpenters at one time. I'm supporting their family, a woman in the office, an accountant, a bookkeeper, and I really felt like, oh, I'm in my masculine power. Mm -hmm. Now, think about that through the lens of what I just said. Yeah. I mean, that's distortion, right? I'm thinking, oh, make money, come home. Meg calls me, hey, it's dinner time. I come in the house, eat dinner, go back to the office, whatever, maybe play with the baby. But was I really fully in my divine masculine? Probably not. And so what happened uh, seven years ago, as you well know, Meg and I swapped roles. Mm. She's like, hey, I'm making the money. Uh, you take care of the kids. Now we had two and run the house. I'm like, I, yeah, no, how? Like, I was just like, that's impossible. I'm a guy, I'm not wired, right? So in this dance, there was this beautiful, uh, I felt like this, like I was helpless in some ways. Like, how do I now be that divine masculine without living the role that I thought defined divine masculine? Mm -hmm. Now Meg is making the money and exhibiting many of those more masculine behaviors, right, around making money. And, and here... Before this shift occurred, it was very, it was simple in a way. I was in my divine masculine, or at least I thought Meg was in her divine feminine. And the joke was that she kept me hard and I kept her juicy. Mm -hmm. Not sexually, but you could interpret it sexually. And that was a very nice dynamic. That got fucking blown up when we swapped roles. Mm. And I can honestly say it's taken, yeah, probably those seven years to really get back into what does it mean? And this is where I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What does it mean to be in your divine masculine as a man, identifying as a man? And what does it mean for a woman who identifies as a woman to be in her divine feminine? What's that look like? Do you, um, I just have a question. Do you, um, do you still think of that, that like that sort of primary breadwinner inspired by the, the archetypes of your youth? Do you still think of that as like the divine masculine? No, I don't, but I, I will be honest. It's taken some time as you referenced, you know, you always learn in hindsight, it's taken me some time to understand. No. That's not the divine masculine. That could be an aspect of it, sure. Mm -hmm. But 
I think more to what I now understand is what you were describing in the women that you work with of creating that safe container, right? Mm -hmm. Of creating that place where, where feelings are welcomed and encouraged no matter what they look like mm-hmm. and having the space and the capacity to, to hold that. Yeah. I, so I, you know, I think the distinction that you came up, I mean, that I would make with that and I came to it from a different angle, which I'll share, you know, it's like, that's like the cultural masculine that probably has aspects of the, of what we might call divine masculine. Uh-huh. Um, and so like the cultural masculine in a way, and this is why we're, ha- I think why we're having a kind of cultural redrawing of lines that started with, you know, women being more in sort of leadership roles in companies and, and, and the military and things like that, but is now completely like the tops blowing off in terms of pronouns and all this stuff yeah. because we recognize that that there is a way in which whatever the opposite of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, like we we included too much in our role. So it's like if somebody's born with you know with a penis and they're gonna want they're gonna wear blue and they're gonna do this and they're gonna do that and they're gonna be interested in that and it's it's like we um, we did we didn't we like we didn't honor the fullness of consciousness and of human experience that can occur in any body. Right. And so then, so then it's like, then people run into a classic example, right? It's like a man who becomes depressed or addicted, you know, or alcoholic or whatever in midlife, right? Like what's happening there? Like he's done maybe everything he thinks he's supposed to do. He's used his cultural training as it was given to him, which might be something like, take it on, do the work, you know, there's a way, these are the ways you're rewarded. Um, you know, these are the things you might expect from the women in your life and mm-hmm. from all these things. Right. And then it starts to break down. So what's needed for that man to have a healing, what's needed for that man to shift. He needs to recover and self heal some aspect of what the culture says he can't have, which uh-huh. is his, what we might call feminine, right? Because all that was girl, like feeling is girly, doing anything creative is gay or girly, all these, this whole things. But yet if that man's going to survive, or at least if he's not going to, you know, live a life of quiet desperation, he's going to have to sort of break through his cultural indoctrination to uh, re-embody or remember an aspect of consciousness that he was told by the culture doesn't fit. Uh-huh. So, and I, I mean, this seems super obvious, but, um, and, and so I, I guess it's just, it, I think it's so super helpful for like when I was saying mine was different, you know, it sounds like you grew up with that sort of traditional masculine, um, kind of indoctrination. And I for sure did too. However, at a young age, I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, put on Ritalin, and I was always kind of the identified patient in the class mm. or in the house or at the camp. I was always on the verge of getting kicked out. So I was a spaz. I was hyperactive. I was emotional. And there was a way in which I wouldn't call that feminine necessarily, but I would definitely say 
that that is not thought of as traditionally masculine. Well, you're not being stoic and sucking it up. And I'm not, right, exactly. I'm, I'm certainly not fitting in. And in a way, it was like I was all, I already, I already had kind of space for an emotionality that the culture would have said doesn't. So, so it may, it made sense to me to be able to break down these binaries. Um, but there's probably, there's a lot more we could say about that. I don't know quite where to go here, but, um, well, I want to, I want to bring it maybe a little more personal in, because I know, you know, I was introduced to David data, I don't know, probably 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I could feel like, you know, this very strong, divine masculine, you know, possessing the divine feminine. And, you know, part of me is like, whoa, I mean, this guy's pretty intense. And then I know you, you studied with John Wineland and I've, I've never studied with John or with David, but I've read a bunch of their yeah. stuff and I've watched a ton of their videos. And that I, to me, you could construe a studying, yeah. you know, and I watched some of John's stuff recently again, that kind of was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get this. And I'm talking about how do I frame that in my personal relationship with Megan, mm -hmm. given all that the last seven years has brought up? So I, I guess I want to hear your definition or your, your take on both of those things, divine masculine, divine feminine. Let's talk about heterosexual relationship, a man and a woman. Now you have a baby. What's it look like? What's the, I guess where, where I want to go with this is like, how do you go below that just living surface? You know, you're running a farm, you know, everyone's busy. There's diapers to change, food to cook, food to shop for, you know, like how, how do you navigate those things? Totally. Yeah. And I think about moments like, you know, I was just thinking about how I could have done the moment right before I came here better. Uh -huh. But when I, you know, I come in from farm chores, clearing out mud from concrete ditch box and then mowing a lawn and all these things. And I love it, but you know, coming in and it's like, we often talk about our two worlds are kind of colliding. Uh huh. And I feel like, um, she probably won't ever say what it is she wants from me, but what she wants from me is for me to remind her when I come in that to, to remind her of my sort of poise and my remembering of myself. Because if I come in and I'm so swirled in my own world mm -hmm. and then she's added to it and also, you know, even just the meeting of two people is its own swirl. Like yes. I'm coming in this way, you're coming in this way, that, but just the fact that like, I didn't come in thinking, Oh, my job now, you know, after having just mowed the lawn, my job is to now hold space for you as my partner. But what she was, I think wanting from me is for me to remember myself because then she can feel subtly or maybe consciously my partner's on point. My partner has me. You, yeah, you just nailed that. That's so important. Continue. I'm. I. I want to share something when you're when you're done. Well, and I didn't do that just now. Yep. I didn't remember to do that. I didn't think about it because 
I was, and it wasn't like we got into a fight or anything. You know, she was, had a friend over, she was chatting with another mom and Wendell was playing and, but just in general, if I can, if I can remember, I mean, however often I can remember, it's like, remember, I think for men, it's like, remember, you know, I'll just say men, but when I say that, I mean, um, beings that are enacting a masculine moment, Mm -hmm. which will be a lot of people who have a kind of core masculinity or a masculine core, which Mm -hmm. is what the way David, I think refers to it, but, uh, is to remember that we're not the storm, you know? And like, that is Mm. because if I think I'm the storm and you as my partner think you're the storm, we're kind of fucked. Yeah, totally. <laughs> One of us has got to remember for in, in service to the other, in service to the family, in service to just like the day going. It's like, and, and Emma and I go through lots of moments where we both think we're the storm and there's this kind of like, and it comes to a kind of head mm-hmm. where it's a little bit like, who's going to, who is going to stop doing that and calm us all down Uh right you know like for instance one of these things and and a lot of times it's her she'll be like okay i need to take a step back and but actually what i needed to have done is to not contributed to that moment occurring by recognizing and it's again not culturally because it's my job as the man not because even because we've agreed that that's my role but because i think i orient to and even i think my soul's longing is to identify more and more and more with consciousness. And I think her work and her longing is to identify more and more with that expressive, radiant, kind of like emotional, relaxed, surrendered, juicy, um, sort of, you know, embodied, um, kind of like unfurling. And so when we're not doing that, 99 times out of 100, it's better if I can remember that I'm not the storm. And then in doing that, remembering myself, she can soften and go, "Ah, there he is. Yeah. That's brilliant. I gotta say, it's describing, um, very clearly a process I've been going through the last year. Um, since, you know, what occurred last summer camping and I guess, when I hear this, do you ever feel like this pressure or like mm-hmm. you always have to be on your game? Like, like totally. our women are just keeping us on our toes. And the way I'm framing it now, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sure. instead of resisting, like, can I just fucking relax and be a guy who just came in from mowing the lawn mm. and not have the the consciousness that you're describing right there in the frontal lobe you know ready to interact with my partner instead of coming in like you know oh i just mowed the lawn or you know had my hands in the dirt or whatever it was just Mm -hmm. built something so i know for me the the biggest challenge is to not forget not forget what you just described. And if you think, like if I think about what is it in, in Jamie, his personality that I admire and love is my protectiveness, 
Like, mm-hmm. I want to protect the people I care about. Mm-hmm. And in a way, when I lose that consciousness and I come in and I'm say something insensitive or I'm not listening or I'm not really acknowledging, mm-hmm. think about it. How much of our life we go through without really acknowledging who's right in front of us. Right. And so I love what you just said, you know, this, this piece of, and it has nothing to do with her. Like you can make that about Emma. You're like, she wants you to be Peter mm-hmm. solid in your presence. Mm-hmm. She wants to feel that. Mm-hmm. And in that presence, she goes like this. Yeah. And she might not even know she's doing that. And I, and, and so. And in a way she doesn't have to, but when she, she references you, then on some conscious level, consciousness level, she's going to relax. And to me, that's what I hear when I read like data or Wineland or like be there, be that container. Yeah. And there's something that you kind of, you mentioned and, and then went past, which was, don't you ever get sick of it or don't you ever feel the pressure? Right. Cause yeah. what I hear you saying is the, the map or the, the sort of process we're laying out is you got to come in, you got to acknowledge who's in front of you. And then you have to remember that you're not the storm and that your job is to identify with the emptiness of infinity and death while you're being in the presence of your wife. And isn't that so much? That's a lot. Yeah. And what I, what I would say to that, um, and I think they, the, you know, people, and I mean, what I would say to that is, um, like anytime that we, when we are coming in, when to say, um, I'm so sick of, um, always being the one who has to dot, dot, dot to say that in the moment is to be identified with the storm. It's just more of the same. Yeah. And so the answer to that is like, is okay. Like I would almost whisper to myself or to a person having that experience and say, no, you don't always have to be that. It's not because part of this is you can actually say to your partner when you can make a real adult request Hey, I'm having a really, I've had a really hard day. I'm wondering if I can just put down being this kind of, and you don't have to use the, the terms massive. I'm, I, can I just put this all down for a minute and have you just kind of hold me and, and hold. And what I've found is she is so willing and she loves hearing yeah. that because it's a, it's a proactive, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for and getting my needs met with rather than letting them just come out sideways you know, a person who is able to sort of like keep like proactively get our needs met, get your needs met, is less likely to then in the moment have a story come up like, well, I'm always this or I'm always that because that story is the story. Well, first of all, it's age regressed, right? It's a child story. It's a, right. But it's the story of, of, of that part of us that doesn't believe that they can get their needs met, that doesn't actually. And so in order to break that, we have to come from our adult part, speak to our our young part and say, Oh wow. And then say, or it, maybe my partner can help me to get my need met here. It doesn't mean she's always going to say yes, but even just that, that, that recognition that to come from a part sort of flagrantly in the moment, regardless of how compelling the story is, is more of the same. Yeah. It's, so, it's just adds to the storm. 
Exactly. Right. It's just more of this. And, and so that's why it's like you could come at it from a polarity angle. You could come at it from a psychology angle. You could come at it from a couple's therapy angle. But everybody's going to agree that deciding to sort of litigate and bitch about your the entire dynamic of your relationship while you are pissed and hot from coming is not the right time and yeah. is not skillful. It's, yeah, never pays dividends ever. Um, do you ever feel like, because I encounter, I have a story that if I do what you just said, which is, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit down right now, really what I need or would love from you is a hug. Like, I have a story that I need to be strong mm-hmm. and steady 24-7. And what I'm integrating now, and I forget where I came across this, but um, this couple was talking about percentages of capacity mm-hmm. and you know the the husband may bring something to the wife that's kind of hot for him in that moment and he says hey can I bring this to you and she says you know right now I'm at like 20 percent capacity totally. I don't think it's it, I can I can do it right now the- are you okay if we and this is part of like, you know, for me especially, I want to get through this shit, yeah, right. right? I want to press the issue and say, no, I, I really need to get this off my chest or I need to share this. And learning that, you know, I don't know, I keep coming back to this consciousness, the, that word that you used. And like, if we're coming from that mm-hmm. as much as we can, and let's be honest, people, we're not coming from it 100% of the time. Or this shit wouldn't still be happening. I wouldn't have a podcast to, to share this on. Then so, evolution wouldn't suck. Yeah, evolution would be a fucking bowl of cherries, man. It'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe I should do that. Evolution is awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that. And so if both parties in a relationship, regardless of the orientation, can come to it I love this image of the storm. You know, I almost have an image of in Peanuts, pig pen, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, there's always a, a dirt cloud around him. And if we can let go of that and meet our partner where they're coming from or they meet us where we're coming from and what we're asking for, it's huge. Totally. It's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I'm experiencing that. Um. Divine feminine, what do you think? Can you yeah, talk about that? I mentioned it earlier in, the, in that sense of like when what she longs to experience, you know, that's, um, I think that I, I'm not a perfect messenger of these, these gods or these polarities or these aspirational states of consciousness, but my, I like to use the, the idea of like a flower in a pot and so like the pot would be the divine masculine. It's like, I'm just here to hold you. Yes. I, I'm, I'm going to be clear about my form. I know my job and my job isn't super complicated in a kind of way, but it's actually extreme. It, it's beautiful in its simplicity. And your job as the feminine is to just like spread and, just like grow and you know reach out and allow the the plants to unfurl and there's a very like 
in a way it's, I, I always like close my eyes when I do that because whereas I feel like the divine masculine is kind of like, um, ready for and witnessing and willing to kind of contain the storm mm-hmm. as the feminine, as that feminine consciousness, it's about like, so as the, as the divine masculine, as sensation moves through, I mean, it, you know, as sensation moves through as, um, I have to be able to conduct it. This is a David data concept. Uh-huh. I have to be able to conduct you know, for example, sexual charge. I have to be able to allow it to pass through without wanting to short circuit it and just get off because then I lose my capacity. Like, right. So mm. that's, that's spilling over into the feminine. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that's divine feminine, but that, that would be, that would be spilling out of my masculine. So in staying in the masculine, I'm allowing sensation to pass through. I used to do it with the Wu Wei, you know, Qigong yep. stance. Yep. I'm allowing the, 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 the story to pass through. I'm just, I'm not biting on any of it. Whereas the feminine is like, I'm going to bite on all of it. I'm going to enjoy it all. I'm going to feel it all. I'm going to express it all, but it's not going to be. And I would say the difference between like the divine feminine and just like the regular feminine maybe is like, I, it, it, it is this like, I, I don't know. I, I guess it would be like, um, I, I notice I have a question because I'm like, there, the, is divine feminine a good enough and divine masculine a good enough? Like there's some maturity implied when I talked about the divine masculine, right? Like I'm going to allow sensation to pass through and story to pass through without biting on it. Whereas with the feminine, the divine feminine, if I imply that she can or they, or he can allow his or her stories and sensations to just take over. I don't know if that's the divine I feel like, cause I feel like that can be in a, like, cause, cause you know, the divine feminine could be like Kali, right? Like just burn it down rage. Like, just like, just, just, just like all consuming. But I feel like inside that, inside all that, there is a divine feminine, which is this, just this fidelity to sensation, this fidelity yeah. to radiance, this fidelity to pleasure, this fide- like, in other words, like as a divine feminine, I am following my pleasure and I am not breaking away to worry about how you're doing or to worry if this is okay, because that's me in the same way that I said, if I spill into my sensation, I'm spilling out of the masculine. If in the feminine, I spill out of sensation in the present moment and radiance and worry about and essentially begin to take control back then I've spilled out of the feminine. Uh-huh. So I think that that's the divine feminine. Yeah. Is that that fidelity to and that that courage and that maturity to remain just following my sensations and my pleasure. And it, you you can see why even just thinking about that for a second why that would kind of require a containment <laughs> yeah. and why that is so rare in our culture yeah. because anybody going just feeling following pleasure moment to moment to moment is either going to be stopped by police or is going to stop themselves and goes anybody watching like is this okay the only way that that can really exist if it's existing in the world it's existing because we agree that this person is going to hold this for us and we're going to make all the the structure for her, like a Marilyn Monroe, we're going to kind of, now that's not, not a perfect way that that was done because at the same time, all of that attention and projection caused her to end her life. But just in general, like 
when we see the divine feminine, there is a containment around it that allows it to occur. Mm -hmm. If there weren't, it would just spill back into, um, you know, muddled equality, like a little bit of feminine, a little bit of masculine, but nobody's really getting off because everybody's worried about, is this okay? Or that's against the law. And, and I guess that's why we practice this in the bedroom because in that place we can do things that she, I mean, I can go into my feminine, which in the culture, right. That's actually just as weird in a kind of way. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. No, it's it's powerful and I I know in my own relationship you know I it would be brought to me that I feel alone. I'm like how could you feel alone? I mean, we sleep together. I mm. you know, spend a great amount of time with you and and it's the, it's that checking out that loss of that container mm-hmm. and, and it's energetic. Totally. You know? It's I, I don't go around with a pot around Meg and say, Oh, I'm I'm your container and you go ahead and flower. It's energetic. And when she feels that I'm not there energetically, she feels alone. Mm. And I think that's the that circles back for me personally of this like, oh, it takes, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, it takes so much energy totally. to do this. Fuck, man. And But recently I've seen it doesn't. Mm-hmm. What takes energy is the storm. Totally. The conflict, the opinions, all that bullshit. That takes way more energy. And so, wow, I love this conversation, man. It's so good to have you in the seat across mm. Before we end, I, I want to touch on one more subject, and, mm-hmm. and that is the work that you're doing with young boys and Rite of Passage. And I, I've, I have so much respect for that path that you're on with that mm. and what you do. Um, you know, a few months ago, we had that circle at the park that was really powerful of gathering some families and boys and just talking about life i guess you would say integrity integrity these qualities that they may hear but don't get the download for and i feel like you're holding this torch you're leading this charge for the boys in our community and i mean we need that so can you just address that a little bit well i don't i don't always feel super confident in it or even sort of hear that or get the impression that it's needed. They're, um, they're lucky to have you. I'm just going to tell you straight up. Man. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like I feel the impact that we have when we did the program, we've now done two, a fall and a spring program. And then we were going to do it. Well, we did some summer stuff last summer. We weren't able to enroll anything this summer, but part of the problem was we were just too late. Uh-huh. We, I'm not a very good marketer. You, you, you gotta jump on that in February at the latest. Uh, right for summer. For summer camps, for anything like that. We we didn't get it out until July. Yeah, no, <laughs> fuck that. You, you're gonna have no. You so, gotta do it in January or February. Well, and that's what I, I actually thought April was early, but I'm, it's not. Well, we're gonna do fall. We're gonna announce fall programs now. Are <laughs> we screwed? Do it now, please. Go home and do it. Yeah, I will. So. 
I don't know. I mean, you know, my 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 vision, my vision, and my my desire to see this community and really all communities have is what I call rite of passage culture, and that being, I mean, talk about you know, a kind of evolution of culture, like we were talking earlier about masculine culture which is bullshit right and that's all sort of part of this patriarchy and capitalism and all this nonsense yeah but none of that is rite of passage culture rite of passage culture would have all of the things that we talked about um because what it acknowledges is um this idea that these are that that youth are moving through um you know, I referenced the map that Bill Plotkin laid out in his book, Nature and the Human Soul, and the idea that there are, actually the rites of passage themselves are really, they're important. They're just as important as the stages, but they're not the stages. And so the the work is happening in the stages, and then there, the recognition happens in the rites of passage. So, um, uh-huh. and that they're, and support it, and the, the basic task of, what these boys are coming into when they're 11 and 12, what they're coming to, they're leaving puberty, they're leaving the, the, the circle of their family behind and they're moving into, and when I say circle, like this, like identity, like I identify as part of this family, but now they're moving into peer and you can start to feel them at 10, 11, 12, moving from family to peer, uh-huh. starting to run as a pack, starting to think yeah. about how they dress, how they, what, but the, what's the recognition there? Where is the, the cord cutting? Where is the, where is the, you have been identifying with us and we're still going to be here and we still love you. But now we're recognizing that what's really important is for you to go out and, and discover who you are amongst your peers and the, the kind of like spiritual lights that must turn on in a child, in a, in a young, you know, child to, to, to have that recognized Mm -hmm. rather than to have it denied them. Like the recognition, even just the words not spoken. Right. Is a, is a form of denial for sure. And so then they go out and they have that. And now they're, now they're um, attempting to accomplish or hold the tension between two tasks. How can I be authentic to myself? Right. We talked about that integrity, like do what's right, be myself, wear the clothes that I want to wear, um, talk in the way that I want to talk. And fit in because it's important because if you if you get either one wrong, like so if I am just pure authentic all the time as a 12 or 13 year old, everybody's going to reject me. Yeah, totally. And that's going to be devastating psychologically. But if I just conform, like just I just do what everybody thinks is cool. Even my friends will be like, dude, you just do what everybody thinks you should do. And you can hear kids giving each other that feedback like, oh, you just want to do what you want to do or Dude, you just do what everybody tells you to do. And so kids are all the time trying to hold those two tensions. And if done right, and this is where I get what I get excited about, that's done wrong everywhere. That is the story of Western culture. That's yeah. done wrong everywhere. Everybody's flip-flopping between rebelling and conforming, rebelling and conforming. And and I talked about this earlier, and those are held in these embodiments, right? Like we don't know that we're, that when we talk about getting triggered, it's just right. us flip-flopping between those. So I'm excited about supporting all humans in that work, but in particular youth because they are so ripe and available for having that happen properly so that when they when that gets done well enough and they can go, yeah, I can be myself. I feel confident. We all, we all know what a confident kid looks like who can go out and be himself but also be accepted. Then that kid is ready to go to the next the next phase. Right. Uh, and we could talk about that another time, but, um, um, 
you know, that, that would be to, um, move their identity from peer, right? Which they've now left behind to the mysteries of soul and their role on this planet. Yeah. Their own journey. Nice. So it'd be great if we had a culture and a community and a world where people could value that and show up for that process. And we could, you could say something like we're having a confirmation ceremony for these children or these, these initiates, or we're having a, a puberty rite for these young boys and girls that are moving on to, you know, the adolescent stage and to have everybody go, not only do I understand that, I get what that, I get the larger narrative that that's part of, or the larger mythic story that that's part of. And I am so committed to that and so glad that that's happening. And that's woven through rather than just being like, you know, the way it looks now is even when you, the, the high side of that nowadays is, well, I can't think my kid needs a rite of passage, which is, that's it. Like that's entry level because it's not a weekend that the kid needs. The kid needs to know and look around and realize that they are held by adults and initiated elders and adults who see through them and, and are kind of holding them to a narrative that they themselves are sort of in awe of because they don't totally understand it yet. You know, a kind of, yeah, an initiatory culture, a rite of passage culture, a culture that is reaching for a kind of inherence in the ecosphere rather than one that is essentially a tool of capitalism. Mm. Yeah, I felt what you're describing at that meeting in the park, in that circle. You could really feel that intentionality and that that setting the mm, the bar, the metric of like, here are adults that you can look to and trust, I guess is a word that came right, from me. Right, exactly, totally. Right? You can trust them. And it may not be your father or your mother or your uncle. It's, it could be a, another man in the community that's going to say, hey, think about this. Yeah, it's just like village life, right? Village, like, completely. I mean, and it's not that wild. Maybe I should say that instead of initiatory culture, right? It's just village. It's just village. That's all it is. And we're raising these kids together collectively. Totally. And what goes wrong, wrong in air quotes, it's not, it's emblematic of what's going on in our society, obviously. Mm. And I feel like the beauty of where we live, this small community, is that we can, we can contain that much right. easier than a bigger community where these kids may get lost completely. Totally. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm proud of what you're doing, man. And I feel like, I guess my, my question though around challenge for you is how do you separate kids from their device and yeah. how do you get kids out in nature, which I know for me in my history, that's where I, I had to go to heal. Mm. That's where I had to go to feel accepted and connected. Man, if I had more time and more resources, you know, maybe that's the wrong thing to bitch about. Like I just should just, you know, but I, I doing other things in my world, you know, creating a farm and a family and, and yeah. my coaching work. And it's like, yeah. I don't have all the time in the world, but, um, 
I feel so strongly about the devices. I feel so strongly about nature. You know, what this would look like if if I had my way is, you know, it would be um, regular trips into the into the wilderness. It would be regular meetings for them to you know, practice skills and be connecting to food and animals and in the in the sense of harvesting animals and processing animals and all the aspects of making art, all these aspects that um, I think of as so foundational to human human life. So, um, yeah, the challenge, I feel like my challenge is to, like, I just feel like season after season, it's like the same thing we keep offering. Like, hey, here's a 10-week thing, meet on mm-hmm. Thursdays for two hours, and it never kind of feels like, enough time to do the things that we want to do and to how to fit in something that's a bigger ask. Like last time we added on an overnight and that was cool, Uh but it, and as they get older and so there's coming, going to come a point here where I'm going to be asked and the people I'm collaborating, we're going to be asked to like take on something bigger and take it on sooner in this, in the year and giving people enough notice saying, Hey, this is what we're doing. And we haven't really, um, I guess figured we haven't crossed that that boundary yet i'm feeling it though as you're describing this i'm feeling like this program this school a more immersive uh and the summer is perfect right right it's hard to do during the school year well we lost the summer the summer's gone now you know what i mean so it's like next summer but next summer i mean nothing wrong with that totally so in other words in january make sure that the word is out please Yeah, and I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, well, you got some time, but I, I feel your passion, and I feel your dedication, and I'm I keep like this image of a school or a a facility or a place to go where it, it's this is you know ground zero of this work. Yeah, and it's in nature, and these kids are leaving their phone behind or putting it in the basket while they're there. Yeah, I like that. And they're connecting to, here's that word again, a higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, it's a preview. Maybe they don't get it, but they get the preview of how to live an authentic life. And I feel like that's what you're you're doing with these young boys. Well, like they're supported, you know, because if I only have them for two, three hours a week, I'm just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. But at least there's, we're making steps towards being able to catch those. To me, it's like if I could catch one moment per session, like literally per 10 week session, if I can catch each kid in one moment where I can put him, put push him back one way or the other back on track. Yeah. Like that's not you, you at your best or, Hey, let me see more of you. You know, what's going right. on here. Then to me that that's a win. And also to be able to see kids that I think are annoying by the end of the season to just love them. And be like, oh, yeah. that's a kid I just used to f- drive me crazy. And now I just love him. Nice. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, I got to say, man, I love this conversation. It's, yeah, me um, too. good to reconnect and uh, have you here on the show sharing your ideas. Anything you want to promo besides working with the, the boys and having a camp next summer? Yeah, maybe the camp next summer. I- I would there's two things. If anybody wants to support the the boys' work, for sure, Forrest and I can use some more help. And maybe we need to redesign the organization in more of a, I don't know, so that we have more employees or something. Or How do how we find you? Like, you have a website call or me. call you? Uh, do you want me to just say my number? Or? 
No, I'll put it in the show notes. You we'll have a website? Me, I guess. No. Okay. I'll put your email. You want your phone number in no, there? No, no. Okay. Maybe I'll just give you my email. Email. And then the other thing I would say is if anybody, I am actually still um, excited about working with individuals in the body-based coaching, the, yep. the body-based soul guide. And so if anybody hears this and, and um, I'm sort of still building it out. And so by the time the person who's interested hears this, I don't know where I'll be with that. But as of now, I'm looking for one or two more people to do some free sessions with so that I can drop in really deeply and um, continue to develop my confidence in nice. what it is I'm, I'm creating. Cool. So you might find that there's some, some, some affordable support available here for a limited time. Nice. That's uh, generous for sure. So I'll have uh, Peter's email in the show notes. Uh, I want to thank you again mm, for showing you so up. Much, Jamie. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope uh, our listeners get a lot out of it. I yeah. think they will. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. If you like the show and listen on Spotify, please follow and rate the podcast. If you are on Apple, you can rate and write a review. And if you want to show us some love on whatever podcast platform you listen on, that would be much appreciated. This podcast has been edited and produced by Gilroy Productions. Thanks, buddy. Love you.